This is Dale Jr., and you're listening to Dirty Mo Radio. Chad asked me to be his engineer. I accepted. He's like, well, go talk to your wife about it. I was like, pencil me in there, you know. <laughs> I got home and kind of excited, you know, looked like she was been crying or a little emotional. And asked her what's wrong. She said, I'm pregnant. Oh, no. So she finds out you're going on the road full time right as she's finding out she's pregnant. Yes. So I'm like, yeah, high five. You know, <laughs> like, like you know, like Welcome to Kelly Earnhardt Miller's Fast Lane Family presented by Wella Professionals. Salon care products that you can experience with your senses. Get high performance you can see, touch, and sense. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Fast Lane Family. I'm Tiff Daniels sitting in again for Kelly while she's out. I'm really excited about our show this week. I know you're really going to enjoy it as we've got Greg Ives, crew chief for Dale Jr. in the Cup Series, as our special guest. But first, I want to say huge congrats to Greg, Dale, and the 88 team on their win at Daytona this past weekend. Now, just so y'all know, we taped this show with Greg last week before the win, so keep that in mind as you're listening. And remember, the Dale Jr. download has lots of fun post-race conversation. But you're going to want to hear this episode as Greg had some very interesting things to say and gave us an inside look at his life. Plus, stick with us because later in the show... The Wella professionals are going to fill us in on how to get rid of that frizzy hairstyle. Now, I hope you'll enjoy the conversation that I had with Greg last week. Hey, Greg, thanks for coming on today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's, uh, I'm still trying to adjust to that time change a little bit. I had my clock at 9. It was like 8.30, and then it was really 11.30, and I, I was all, all kind of messed up. Just coming back from West Coast travel. Yeah, yeah definitely. What time did you get in this morning? Uh, we got in at 5 o'clock. I think I got home about 5.30. So. so did you beat the sun coming up? Barely? <laughs> yeah, I, I beat the sun. Uh, I was able to get a little work done. And then uh, I, I was up with the kids around, what, 7? Oh. 7, 7.30. So. A, a whole hour or so. Yeah, <laughs> so, somewhere. In I, I tried to get a nap, about 30-minute nap <laughs> after that. I use. Uh, I can't sleep on the plane either, so that I was trying to my darndest to do it, but it didn't happen. I can't either. I'm terrible at it. Yeah. I cannot get comfortable enough to sleep on planes. So, Greg, starting back at the beginning, you're from Bark River, Michigan, which I had to look up because people in Michigan always explain geography by the hand, and you're not even on the hand. You're above the hand. Well, you got <laughs> to use both hands. Attached to So, so you got to go. Like that. So you got one oh, okay. hand. This is the lower and okay. that's the upper. So I'm from, see. You so, so yeah, if you put your right hand down and your left hand up sideways and you've kind of got it yeah. on the left hand. So you all got it. Yeah, basically the tip of Lake, Lake Michigan is kind of where we're at, somewhere around there. So how did you first get into racing? Uh, well, uh, my, my dad and my brother, um, they were into racing ever since I was born. My brother's 17 years older than I am, so... Um, I, I don't know if I made that reference. That's kind of the age difference <laughs> Chase and I had, but, um, you know, so I just grew up around, um, uh, racing a lot and, you know, whether it was sweeping the, the, uh, garage after the car left or, you know, I, I was pretty small at the time. So being able to get in there and, and clean the windows and clean the car, but, um, really just, you know, for my dad and my brother, um, racing, whatever it was they were racing at the time, whether it was dune buggy, motorcycle, uh, sportsman or uh, a late model so um, that's just got my interest and uh, when I was five years old at Escanaba Speedway we had um, kids night and uh, I won the 
big wheel race and nice. did the nickel toss. So I kind of got my uh, <laughs> start there. So uh, from that on, I was kind of hooked on racing and, um, you know, just just uh, really interested in what the cars did and, and uh, wanted to understand a lot mechanically. And so your brother, was he the older? Because there's eight of you total, yeah, if I have that yeah, right. he, and he, six girls. Yep, yeah, <laughs> he was the oldest, and um, I have a younger sister. So nice. basically it was my brother, five girls, myself, and then uh, the baby after us. So was it just the two boys, you and your brother, that got into racing, or were any of your sisters involved? Um, they were involved. They, you know, we also raced on the ice with mini sprints and uh, all this other sort of stuff, so... Um, my sister, Vicky, she tried getting in the, a late model. I think she ended up um, breaking her foot. And then my other sister got in a mini sprint. And th they all did, did at some point try all to... All on the ice? Or uh, yeah. some of well, this on... <laughs> one was on the <laughs> I, asphalt. I never want to race on the ice, yeah. by the way. I don't ever <laughs> want to be that cold. <laughs> yeah, it, you're not actually too bad. But um, <laughs> it's it's an entertaining experience. But, yeah, they all did something. Um, they drove. Some drove. Some just... Um, pitted the car and you know some just brought the food and and, <laughs> and made sure uh um stuff was ready for the fans so it, it was pretty much a a family thing all the time and um so that that was a pretty neat deal and you drove too late models yep. growing up yeah so when i turned 16 um we we're uh on the way to the racetrack and you know i ex just expecting to help my brother out again and he looked at me as we were pulling into the track and said well, I hope my suit fits you because you're going to be driving tonight. So I kind of like. <laughs> no got, warning. No warning. I, well, that was the warning. He should have <laughs> waited a little bit longer. So I, I I got, I wouldn't say nervous. I got excited about it. At, at that time, him and I were probably about the uh, same size. Now I'm about six inches taller. Than somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> we're almost complete opposites of each other. But uh, at, at that point, we're uh, pretty similar as far as uh, body build wise. So I was able to just fit in the car and go out went out there and won our my heat race and i don't even i don't even know it was kind of all blurred <laughs> but I, I knew we i won something in the heat race and i think the semi feature but um, well that's a pretty strong start yeah it it was um especially for me because <laughs> you know I, I felt like i was better working on them than i was driving them so um i still feel like i'm competitive every time i get in a race car but that's sometimes just my thought. So <laughs> I, I'm definitely, uh, I stayed in the right profession by actually uh, working on them and, and using my brain rather than my right foot. Nice. So how long did you actually drive them? Was it after that you had this immediate success? So yeah, said, I, I, I ran for eight go. years Here's the car. Um, nice. from 16 till I actually moved down here to start at Hendrick Motorsports. So I ran, uh, you know, eight, seven, yeah, eight seasons basically. And um, had had some success. Um, I, I, my last three years of my career probably were my best. Um, you know, I was in contention for championships and, and race wins and uh, a lot of fast times. So um, really just spent a lot of my time around Norway Speedway was my home track. I did travel a little bit, but not as much as I wanted to. Um, some of it's just because, you know, I put a, a lot of time and effort into my car by myself and you know with the support of my uh, brother and my dad but you know they're busy with the mechanic business and um so really it was me getting the car ready you know and, and that's why that's the way you know my dad wanted me to kind of grow up and learn and that's kind of how I wanted it as well so you know from driving the truck to the track to measuring the stagger to jacking it up and 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 doing all that I was able to 
gain a lot of experience and, um, you know, help me build the foundation so I could get where I am today. But I think that's probably important to note because a lot of people have talked about how crew chiefs now are coming more from engineering positions and you do have an engineering degree from Michigan Technological <laughs> University. Am Just I saying that right? Tech. Michigan Tech. Yeah. So, you, you, you get a so you've got that part, um, but also it's not like you're missing the hands-on experience or that experience with a driver. And I, I think that's something that maybe people forget when they're talking about it. You know, the, the good old crew chiefs who worked on the cars versus these crew chiefs now with engineering degrees. Well, you've got both. The way I look at my education and, and going to get my mechanical engineering degree at Michigan Tech was more just an opportunity to open doors for myself. Um, you know, I, I always knew that my racing background or my ability to work on cars, um, you know, whether it was a, a semi truck or heavy equipment or a race car, I never shot away from it. You know, I always, if there was a problem, I always knew I could fix it. What well, getting the engineering degree helped me get it probably quicker, you know, that being able to utilize computers, simulation, um, or, or just, uh, make yourself mentally think differently, whether you're more organized, whether you're more um, apt to think a different way rather than just brute force, smarter, work smarter than rather than harder um, type of mentality. And um, in the end, that education just opened a lot of doors for me uh, rather quickly, whether it was Hendrick Motorsports, um, the opportunity to come to Junior Motorsports, or even now back at Hendrick Motorsports with Dale. So I don't claim myself to be an engineer. I claim myself to be a racer. Um, and, you know, that dynamic has a lot of things behind it, whether it was driving cars, working on them, getting education um, as an engineer, or just, you know, straight-up mechanical ability. And so how did the opportunity with Hendrick come about? In 2004, did you just, you moved down here on a whim, or did you already have the job lined up when you came down? Well, I knew um, December 2003 I was graduating from Michigan Tech, and it's, it's kind of weird, funny, kind of odd, um, kind of fate story a little bit it was you know august uh, august time and you know everybody's starting to go back to college and i'm going back to for my last semester and i brought all my stuff up to michigan tech because i moved into a different apartment because it just needed for a semester and i had a family reunion that weekend i think we drove up on a friday and or saturday or something like that and so i was like i don't you know that's a long way. It's a three-hour drive, this and that. And she's like, well, you don't see your family often. You know, you're going to be graduating. You need to go. So I went, and my dad's cousins, which I, I knew of him, but I haven't met him before. And I, I met him and was talking to him, and he asked me what I wanted to do. And I was like, you know, I really enjoy racing. And, um, you know, I, I said that when I was 16 years old, I wanted to work for Hendrick Motorsports in 10 years. And, you know, that's my kind of my ultimate goal is to to make it there and he's like well you know my son-in-law works for Hendrick Motorsports oh, he's the nice. he's the front-end mechanic on the 24 car and his name was uh Paul Christman and everybody called him Rolly and my dad's cousin Ken Leeson said hey give me your resume and I'll I'll send it to him and he can give it to the team manager which was Brian Weitzel at the time and I'm like really what What's going on here? You know, so I went home and freshened up my resume. I, I, I put that as a mechanic, going to graduate as an engineer, my racing experience. And that's kind of, you know, that's who I was. I wasn't right. going to try to glorify my resume up, you know, but 
Um, you know, Brian Weitzel saw it. I, I don't know if he emailed me or called me, but, you know, said he was interested in, you know, talking with me. And I called him, and he's like, well, we don't really have a position for an engineer. And, you know, a couple months went by, didn't hear from him again. And at this point, I'm starting to, well, I need to find a job. I graduated. <laughs> it's January already. I started interviewing for some different jobs, and I actually got one or two of them. Two companies accepted, you know, me to start, and I was like, I got to wait a little while. And they're like, what do you mean you got to wait? I was like, you know, <laughs> I'm really working on this opportunity with Hendrick Motorsports, and, you know, if, if this if this means you have to pass me up, then you have to pass me up. But, you know, I really feel good about it. I think, you know, there's something that can happen. And, you know, Brian Weitzel, he called me a few more times. I drove to North Carolina for a 15-minute face interview, drove back to Upper Michigan, drove back again, uh, for next time to meet with uh, Brian Weitzel, Chad Knaus, and Robbie Loomis, drove back to uh, <laughs> uh, North uh, Michigan again. And by the way, that's like 17 hours. Oh my gosh! Uh, each way, each way. So I got to do it <laughs> once by myself. Uh, you know, once with uh, Jess and the Daytona 500 in February 2004. You know, Brian Weitzel asked me if I was at the racetrack. I'm, I'm sitting there in my dad's shop working in on a, Michigan. in Michigan, <laughs> working on a semi. <laughs> and he's like, I was like, um, yeah, I'm in, I'm in, I'm at the track. Why wouldn't I be right? <laughs> you know, I didn't want to tell him no and not hear the rest of the story. And he said, well, <laughs> right. if you're around tomorrow, um, why don't you, uh, you know, call me, why don't you call me and maybe I can get you into, into the track oh and, gosh. and show you around a little bit. I said, that sounds great. You know, got, I didn't even have a cell phone. I had zero. I didn't have a cell phone yet. I'm, you know, like 23 <laughs> years old, no cell phone. Why? Because I didn't need one, right? I worked all the time. Well, how did you talk to Jess? I I call. <laughs> yeah, it's called rotary it's, phone. No, it's, She's yeah, giving me the symbol. For yeah, it, it's called a landline. Nice. So we don't have those anymore. Yeah, I don't know what so, that is. <laughs> you know, I was at two places. I was either at at my shop working, <laughs> or I was at home. So if you needed to get hold of me, you knew where I was at. Well, in the end. You know, I told my dad, I said, you're going to have to find somebody else to finish this work because I'm leaving for Florida. And he's like, what are you talking about? I got to go meet Brian Weitzel <laughs> tomorrow. And I drove down. It was a Thursday. It was the, it was a Thursday. I, or I got there and it was right after um, uh, the Gatorade duels. Uh, Jeff Gordon made contact with Casey Kane on pit road oh, no. and they're changing motors and doing body work on the front nose and this and that. And, I met Mary Weitzel, Brian's wife, and he brought me. She brought me in and pulled her rank a little bit with the security <laughs> guard. Said, "Hey, he's with me," type of thing, <laughs> and met some of the guys, um, Jeff Mendering and Robbie Loomis, and I think Stevie. I, I met Steve Latart nice. and um, all the guys. And Brian's like, "Well, you know, I, I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, you know, we'll be in contact." <laughs> and so about 30 minutes later. I'm walking back out of the Daytona oh Speedway. I'm like, after having driven how many 24, hours? Twenty-four hours. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, after twenty-four hours and picking up a cell phone and doing all that stuff because I knew I needed to get a hold of them. <laughs> and, but I mean, it's that experience. So I went to New Smyrna Speedway. I slept in my car, <laughs> and uh, started. I went in the pits and I looked for anybody who had a Wisconsin or Michigan license plate. <laughs> And I found one. His name was Ryan Matthews, at, and uh, he from Wisconsin. So I started helping him at New Smyrna. So that's a great that, story. And and then 
a uh, month later, you know, Brian calls me and I start working as a post-race mechanic. So th- when did you come clean to Brian about this story and how it all I went I think down? I just did. Okay. <laughs> so if this is the first time. This is Brian, probably, you can hear yeah, it here. Yeah. I think I just did. I haven't <laughs> probably ever told him that. So uh, awesome. from that point on, you know, we ha- had a great relationship <laughs> and, you know, a lot of a lot of cool things have happened over the years and and after working as a mechanic, you got an opportunity to get into an engineering position straight on to the 48 team after a couple of years. So how how did that come about? Did they just see your work as a mechanic and they were happened to be looking for somebody and know that you had that degree? Yeah, well, you know, I, I started as a post-race mechanic, you know, pulling motors out and cleaning cars and, you know, sweeping floors and washing floors, whatever whatever it was. And um, pretty much the entry level position at the shop and um, I didn't have anything you know I didn't have a girlfriend or uh, I had a girlfriend I had a fiance or what <laughs> I can't remember <laughs> she's just shaking her head about <laughs> this okay <laughs> I had a race car and a girlfriend I think <laughs> yeah in, in the end I like I said she lived in Michigan I lived here so I hope she would be shaking her yes I didn't have any other girlfriends <laughs> so I would, you know. So no responsibilities here in North Carolina. Exactly. You just had to be able to use the phone and you're a good Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I, I just ended up uh, staying late and helping wherever there was, wherever there was activity I tried to go to. You know, obviously if a car was sitting there on casters, I wasn't going to go look, you know, just <laughs> hang out with it, which I did occasionally just to <laughs> check it out and see how how they were building the cars. But, you know, I started helping Robert Deering on the setup plate for the 24 car. And, you know, he was, he's, he was kind of ornery and nobody wanted to work with <laughs> him. And I hope he's listening because it's true. <laughs> and, uh, um, so, you know, at first I just kind of hung back and he's like, I don't need any help. You know, I'm like, well, I, I'm not going to help you if you don't need it, but I'm going to be standing here <laughs> right. annoying you. So if you need help, I'll yeah, be right so here. So <laughs> after a couple of days of that, he's like, well, if you're going to stand here and watch me, you might as well write <laughs> something down. So I started, you know writing down whatever uh, numbers he was barking out. And then, you know, we just kind of built a little bit of a trust and a relationship and we were able to, you know, I was able to help him a little bit more. And so the next year I became the 24 setup plate guy, engineer, whatever whatever you want to call it. So started there, um, you know, there was another opportunity to do something else, but, you know, I felt that was the best one to, um, learn and understand the race cars and make us better. And then in 2006, you know, Chad kind of saw me work, you know, from post-race mechanic to set up plate and the understanding of, you know, where I started, came from, where I've been and, you know, my background. And uh, he wanted me to be his primary race engineer. And at the time, you know, there was only one race engineer per team kind of. So, <laughs> um, you know, I started with him, you know, he brought me in his office and he's like, I want you to be my race engineer. He goes, I said, sure. And he's like, well, I want you to go think about it because I was married. At the, I was, uh, her and I got married in 2005. Good job. Got and, that one. Uh, or 2006. <laughs> 2005 it is. Yeah, 2005. <laughs> so um, I can tell you when I got hired, but <laughs> we're still working on that. <laughs> it's 10 years this year. So, congratulations. Anyway, yes, and, and July 30th. Well, you know the date. That's important. Yeah, I think <laughs> that's it, right? Okay, that's it. 
we're we're trying not to get Greg in trouble yeah, here, but well, I don't know if it's going well or not. Well, in 2005, <laughs> we we had a uh, a break. It was Indy, or Indy was afterwards, but um, it, there was a break in between those two, so <laughs> that's when we got married. <laughs> but anyways, um, yeah. So Chad asked me to be his engineer. I accepted. He's like, "Well, go talk to your wife about it." And I was like, "Well." Just, you know, pencil me in there, <laughs> you know. I'll, I'll let you know. Do, you know, I think you can put it in pen, but if you want to use pencil, that's fine. But um, I got home and was kind of excited, you know, honey at home type of moment. And she was kind of <laughs> not so happy. And I was kind of wondering why. Was she kind of looked like she was been crying or a little emotional and asked her what's wrong. And she said it wasn't supposed to happen this early or something like that or I was like, what? And she said, I'm pregnant. Oh, no. So she finds out you're going on the road full time right as she's finding out she's pregnant. Yes. So I'm like, yeah, high five. You know, <laughs> like, like this great. Is a big you know, I, I give her a big hug. I'm happy. Yay. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited. She's like, what? <laughs> We're supposed to wait like five years and this and that. Yeah. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm excited. I'm happy about it. Um, I wish Peyton, I, I forgot got to bring Peyton with me. <laughs> she wanted Peyton to be here. We wanted to hear this story, which we'll go into later yeah. for a broken arm. So we were going to get it in her words. But, but yeah, okay. so so I had to go back and tell Chad that the next day. He's like, what? <laughs> you really want to now? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can go ahead and put that pin down. <laughs> yeah. No, so, so it was, it was, uh, it was, yeah, it seems like everything kind of <laughs> happened all at once. All at once, and um, you know they say that everything kind of happens in threes or or whatnot. And I, I think it was the <laughs> same thing when I I, I don't know. There's there's a couple other things that that <laughs> has happened that seems like you know it, one thing kind of snowballs into the other. But you know I've been pretty blessed and fortunate, so I'm pretty pretty happy where my life's at that's awesome so i remember when i first started working with the 48 just doing lowe's marketing stuff we used to call you the elusive greg ives because you're always hiding in the holler <laughs> but now that you've stepped out like when did you first know maybe it was always a goal to become a crew chief and how did you know that you were ready for that opportunity yeah i mean when i was on the 48 my you you, you always had goals right our goal was to win you right. know, and to be as fast as possible. So for me to make that happen was to be working on in the the corner desk with the most space, and you know, it, my back turned to everyone basically, and uh, allowed me to stay focused on uh, what it is that Chad wanted me to do, or Jimmy wanted to wanted fixed, or what you know Ron wanted me to uh, try try to get him information on. So um, at that point, you know, I just focused on 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 that stuff and as i got more comfortable in my job it it allowed me to expand a little bit more but my personality trait makes me want to be that be perfect for those guys who are working around me and you know after after the the years with uh working with chad and jimmy and um the confidence that i was able to build up because of what they were able to still um you know i you, you know you talked about you know the the records we had the wins the championships and you know uh, I felt like I, I contributed to that, but by no means I felt like that was because of me. So, you know, it was definitely a team effort, but that put a lot of confidence in me. Um, that's what I gained from it and, and uh, knew that at some point I wanted to be a crew chief. I, I made that 
vocally clear, but I wanted to be a crew chief for Hendrick Motorsports. I wanted to work for Hendrick Motorsports. I didn't want to work anywhere else. Right. I didn't want to just be. A, I didn't want a title. Yeah. I wanted. I wanted. To, I wanted to work for Hendrick Motorsports, no matter what that title was, and um, you know. So I tried to be patient with it, and um, I I knew the relationship between Junior Motorsports and Hendrick Motorsports was there. Um, now that especially now that Dale was um, at Hendrick Motorsports. And, you know, I just kind of kept on pushing it and pushing it. And it got to the point where, you know, I was I was actually coming out of contract. You know, my it was end of my contract year, and we're trying to figure out what we wanted to do for the next year. And um, it, it was a very tough decision to leave a, a successful race team as the 48 was and and the comfort level that I had within the race team and the trust level that we had to just say, hey, I want to be crew chief at Junior Motorsports or elsewhere. Um, and so did I feel I was ready? I, I didn't know if I was ready or not. I, I felt like I had the confidence of what, you know, I learned from Chad, learned from the 4888 race team and how they were assembled and the, the leadership they have over there and what I learned at Hendrick Motorsports that I could be um, a crew chief uh, at what level I did, I did until I until you actually take the plunge right. you don't know um, but I wasn't I wasn't worried about it I, I wasn't scared of it I wasn't scared of failing I, you know I wanted to succeed that's for sure you know and I was going to work hard to make that happen and you know conversations with Chad and uh, Mr. Hendrick and uh, Doug Ducart all kind of lined up to get, you know, in a position to come over to Junior Motorsports and be Regan's uh, crew chief. And you pretty much had success right off the bat when you came over here. I mean, you and Regan won a couple races that first year, and then obviously 2014 with Chase was a big year. Yeah. I mean, 2013, uh, Regan came off that win at, at Homestead, and they may not have been the best car that day, you know, Regan, you know, put that extra effort because he knew what was on the line, and you know the cars were good. You had good horsepower, good chassis. They had good people here. There was this maybe a little bit of confidence boost they needed, and when they got that win, the off season changed. You know, and, and that's what I felt, anyways. I felt, you know, the mentality changed. Of hey, you know, Regan's we can do this. Regan, <laughs> yeah, we're we're capable. You know, they were capable. In years past of winning races right. and, and being in contention for championships. And they went through a little bit of lull and needed needed a little kickstart. And I think that's what Regan gave them. And so, you know, that's what changed my 2013 for me a little bit. You know, coming in with Regan and, and the confidence that um, they quickly instilled in, in me and allowing me to steer the ship a little bit and, and look for direction and not say, hey, this is how we've been doing things. And and. I didn't come in here demanding things a certain way. I came in here just trying to improve things and, and make things better and gain the trust of the guys who worked here and uh, get better. And, you know, we had two wins at, you know, one at Talladega and one at Michigan. And I felt like, um, you know, we had plenty of opportunities to, to win more races and, um, you know, a couple of road course incidents and get knocked um, an issue at Kentucky, you know, with a broke uh, jack screw and, and the an issue at Road America with the sand, you know, not having the sand tires <laughs> right. on the car, and and uh, you know we took ourselves out of the 
out of that chance to go to Homestead with the opportunity to win. But it, it gave the guys a lot of confidence saying, hey, you know, we build good race cars. We have a good foundation. We just need to tweak and tune on, on certain areas. And, um, you know, it's it's always – you always got to keep improving. And then going into 2014, it was, a you know, another shakeup for me. It was a kind of a last-minute, hey, we want to switch things around and we're going to give you um, – your younger brother, basically, <laughs> you know, um, like I said, it was a 17 euros yeah. year difference between him and I, and you know, it, it was it was exciting, cool uh, deal. I was ex- you know excited for the the company to to get a young guy, and, you know, and, and and excited for for Regan and them to kind of work together. You know, a sort of a veteran of the sport and a young guy working together is is kind of cool interaction to see, and you know, we had. We had good success early, you know, winning at Darlington and Chicago and Texas. And, you know, even, even though we won the championship, we left that year a little disappointed. You know, I felt like we had more opportunities to win. You know, I think we should have came out of the season with probably about six wins and, and a couple more polls. But, you know, in, in the end, um, you know, whether it was rookie mistakes on on, on my part being a, uh, uh, only a second-year crew chief or – you know, us trying to just get too much at certain times. And, um, you know, it was no fault of anybody's, you know, at any particular time. It was just all of us trying to lock arms and be the best that we can in every lap and every situation. And, you know, you're going to make mistakes, you know. And when you make mistakes, you can sit back and think about, you know, you know, oh, woe is me. Or you can just say, hey, I made a mistake. I was willing to make it, right? You know, sometimes – Sometimes what I thought was a mistake allowed me to win the race. You know, I, I felt like at Michigan with Regan Smith, I, I didn't make a mistake, but I made a call, and about two laps into the call, I was like, man, I don't think this is going to work, and then we end up winning the race, <laughs> you know. So it, it's it's a different dynamic. It's it's cool, and it's, it, you know, Hendrick Motorsports, Junior Motorsports, and all those guys allowed me to get to where I'm at today, and you know, more, couldn't be more thankful for that. So now transitioning from being an Xfinity crew chief with Chase, back to getting the opportunity with Dale at the 88. Is it basically just a continuation of the same process? Now you've started over yeah. a couple times. Yeah. You've got good people every time. You actually brought a couple people yeah. over. I, yeah. I guess uh, think of Travis Peterson. And yeah, Ma- Travis the, Mack. Yeah, yeah, and T-Mack, yep. So a couple people from here that came with you for that comfort, but is it kind of the same thing over again, rebuilding, getting to know your people? Yes, definitely. It's, um, you know, the last three years have been, um, you know, we talk about, I came in to the 88 with the team pretty much intact, which in the end, half the pit crew was there. And, you know, (laughs) um, Jason Burdett, the car chief, who's now uh, the crew chief on the seven. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, different moving parts in the background that ended up uh, having to change and um, and and me being the biggest change you know you got a group of guys that are used to working a certain way with uh, Steve and when I came in maybe demanded something a little bit different and having everybody adjust to it um, and is is something that's still ongoing you know it's not I don't think I don't think the you know 88 team is right where it needs to be yet you know, if it was, we'd be winning more races. And um, some of that's uh, my comfort level, whether it was, is, you know, with the team, whether it's um, with the series, you know, moving from Xfinity to Cup, whether it's the cars, this and that. But I feel like we are on a good path of where we need to go and, and what we need to do to get there. We have all the right people. 
we have a great foundation. Um, it's just me putting it all together and putting the people in the right places, whether it's, um, you know, pit calls, whether it's uh, chassis setup, whether it's qualifying, <laughs> my dreaded qualifying. I'm going to get that better for all the race fans out there, um, you know, because that's the start of our weekend. And But, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like we understand where our weaknesses are, what we need to work on, and we are not bashful on pointing them out. So, um, and, and that's half the battle. And mentioning the race fans, everyone always talks about how much pressure there is on that 88 team because it's Dale and to perform. Have you felt any of that, or do you try to stay completely above all of that extra pressure? I feel it every day I get home. <laughs> and my daughter's telling me how, you know, the straight talk of it. Uh, no, you know, the way I've always said was, you know, whether it's Regan Smith, Chase Elliott, Jimmy Johnson, or, you know, some guy at some local track when I'm 60 years old, I'm going to be, I'm going to be working just as hard. Um, the pressure to win does not matter. Um, because it, like I said, it, it doesn't matter if it's a local racetrack or if it's the sprint cup level at Sonoma, uh, we're going to have the pressure on us to try to win races. Um, the biggest thing for me, um, is trying to find that balance of, having the pressure of the rate on on us and on the race team but also knowing that we're there to take care of each other um that you know i felt like even sonoma we had a great race car we had the ability to probably win that race um we came out of there with a seventh um disappointed yes um but the one thing that i have to learn and and balance out is the fact that you know in in that we have to you know care about each other still take the positives out of it and not leave the racetrack with our heads down because we did everything we possibly could for that day and it just didn't work out you know if I could predict when the cautions come out and pit the one <laughs> lap before you know we may be in victory lane but you know that that's the balance I have to do as the crew chief and as the leader of the team is um, you know I'm the one that gets down on me the hardest so I got to remember that and kind of pick myself back up and realize hey we got this is for the race team this is how we need to get better and whatever that is um but you gotta know that everybody on i care about everybody on that race team and um so does dale and so we just gotta gotta remember to stay t together at, as a team no matter what the pressure is because we know what it is every friday when we walk in and that's to win the race and so do you think that that's been an adjustment for you um compared to, you know, last year they have Stevie, who's known for being a cheerleader. Has that been something that you've had to kind of pick up a little bit with the team or with Dale? Have they seen you get quieter, you know, if you're down on yourself? And have you had to remind yourself, hey, I, I need to be positive for yeah, these guys? Yeah, and, and a lot of times my quietness is sometimes me in, you know, like, <laughs> Still okay, <thinking. laughs> I'm, I'm focused on something. I'm focused on you know, Dale just said that he needs um, the car to be, you know, tighter off the corner or he needs more forward bite or he needs to, he's too tight in the center. And that's me, you know, going into, okay, fix it mode, you know, whether it was it, communicate, you know, I have four or five, six radios I'm listening to at one time. I have an intercom system with my engineers. I have a digital radio that I'm talking with my car chiefs and my, my pit guys and, you know, I have a, a scanner listening to NASCAR and what you know, maybe other guys are doing, not doing, but, you know, the trend of the racetrack. You know, if Dale says that 
he's starting to get tighter, but other guys are saying they're getting looser. You know, is that is that track dependent? Is that car setup dependent? So you got to weigh in a lot of different options. If the track's changing, then I have to do, not only do I have to adjust for the car, but I have to do a double adjustment to to catch up to the to the racetrack. And so at, at that point, you know, and and then you're you know TJ likes to talk a lot because he's he, he you know he has he has a couple batteries and he needs to go through them right. you know and um uh you know and and Dale you know he'll come on the radio but he's not always hundred percent you know he you know he he gets in there and he doesn't put a sentence again he, he's right. not going <laughs> to give you a sentence he's going to give you you know the bulk of it in a couple words and 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 work on it from there so. A lot of my quietness, my cheerleading is is done because I'm working on the computer trying to make the race car better. Um, you know, I think Dale knows that. You know, he sees how that's why he spends a lot of time in the lounge because he, he sees how how I work with the engineers and how we get to building faster race cars. So I I think Steve you know was a little bit more vocal on the radio. I I feel like I I get vocal when when Dale needs it. Uh, I understand his personality in the race car when he uh, is on a restart and he just passed four guys. He wants <laughs> to he wants to know we were watching, yeah. and I'll get on the radio. Man, man, that was exciting. Good job, this or that, or you know that was impressive, or 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 on the on the backside of it, you know when when he's not able to make a pass, and I'll be like, hey, you know I see what your problem is. You know I see you're a little tight in the center, or you can't get around him, or you're a little loose off. They have better drive off the corner. Stuff like that, and for me, it's a little more of my engineering mindset and the the technical technical side. But um, you know, I think we just have different styles, different personalities, and I I feel like Dale's maybe driving a different way too. You know, so um, there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that you know is not said on the radio and not talked about. So um, until you get the full 24/7 of it, um, you'll kind of understand how it, how it all operates. And y'all have been great at restrictor plates this year. So you've got the win in the Bud Duels and then um, at Talladega. What do you think it is that sets the 88 apart at restrictor places where you go in there with just knowing that you've got a shot? You know, you you look at the 48, 88, or even Hendrick Motorsports as a whole, you know, whether it's qualifying, whether it's, you know, the race, you know, you'll see the 24 and the 5, the 48 and the 88, they're always – leading laps or on the pole or <laughs> are just fast in practice it's it's great race truck cars and um uh great you know engines at hendrick motorsports and uh great chassis it, so it's just the team you know that's the pinnacle of the team right there you know um that's that's that says it all i i feel at the super speedways and you know i, I feel like we have a great opportunity and, you know i feel like we should have won the daytona 500 you know, I feel like I feel like we should win every race. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest with you, but um, I feel like that's the kind of attitude I want my crew chief to yeah. have. You know, I yeah. Would, so I think we could win every race. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, going into Daytona, I I would be disappointed if we didn't leave there with a win. Yeah. So, um, you know, and and that's that's a tribute to you know Steve Berg and um, Hoppy and. All, all those guys, you know, Jeff Andrews and Scotty Maxim, all those Jim Wall, all those guys who um build build the engines and you put that detail work into it and you know it's I, like i said i'm just blessed and I, I i would say dale feels the same way blessed that he gets to race these race cars and i get the crew chief on that definitely at speedway races 
And then going back to that Talladega win, this is the story that um, involves Peyton. So I hear that she was a pretty tough critic after Richmond, and then she broke her arm during that weekend. How did she, you had a chance to fly home to be with her, and she told you, nope, stay, your job is to win. But yeah. give us kind of the uh, well, the better version of that story. Mine was just the cliff notes Yeah, that I, I mean, read. in the end, she's always been a pretty big critic, and you know, when she grew up with the success that we've had on the 48 and winning right. championships and, um, you know, when you, you come home, you know, every third race and you got a, a win or that's something that you have to follow up on, especially as they get older, you know. <laughs> so, um, you know, after after 2013 with Regan, you know, we won a couple of races she's happy about. And then, you know, we finished third in the points. And, you know, I came home and I said, you know, we didn't win the championships I was like, you know, we pretty much failed this year. And she's like, I know. <laughs> and I was like, no, like, hey, I, I, I still love you. Yeah. It's just, I know. And then she's like started eating her cereal, <laughs> you know, like, okay. Yeah, no, you're the best, Dad. No, and then, you know, in 2014, <laughs> you know, we had a, had a good year, won some races and uh, won the championship. And, you know, still she was pretty, you know, like, Dad, don't you, you know, you got to, make some better calls there you know four <laughs> tires fuel or you know whatever it is you need to win that race you can't just finish second or third or whatever it was and then um richmond yeah it was pretty classy on her part so <laughs> you know i got home and we had a good race car and you know i felt like we had a good race car we just had i don't even remember some of the issues that we were having oh we were pitted between uh, 11 and 18 and 11 hit one of the tires and we dropped spots in the pits and stuff like that and because uh, of that issue and you can only do that so many times before you end up staying where you're at you know everybody else is get their cars better but you know i think we ended up 14th and i got home i was like peyton you watch the race she's like yeah and of course she watches it on her tablet and, <laughs> you know the race view and the scanner radio and all this stuff and i was like well what do you think she goes how do you think dale's gonna ever win with a car like that <laughs> and wow. i was like what what are you talking about? Yeah, you, like that's that's a very bad race car or something. Like, you know, it's <laughs> like basically what were you doing? And I felt the same way, so I I can't argue <laughs> with her. You know, like it, it was funny when I got announced with Dale uh, being his crew chief. You know, she was a little skeptical of it. You know, she was critic of him him as well and me as well. Yeah. And after they won Martinsville, you know. I was actually at the Martinsville race with the 48 at the time, and uh, and and the 88. But I, I was kind of I was on the box with the 48, just just trying to get back in the swing of things a little bit. And I got home and Dale won the race, and she goes, "You know what, Dad? I pr feel pretty good good about it. <laughs> I, I think Dale can win races for you now." It, so I mean, it was, I don't know if I told Dale that story yet, but it, it so was. So she's hard on everyone. It's yeah, not just you. Yeah, I mean, she's hard on <laughs> herself high too. Standards. Yeah, she has very high standards, you know. So you know, Talladega, she broke her arm on Saturday, and, and it not, was a pretty bad break. Yeah, it, it was sounds like significant. That's what I said. Actually, she was at her friend's house, and I asked Jess if she cleaned her room before she went to her friend's house, and she said no. So I was a little upset about it because it's like she was not supposed to go anywhere until she. Maybe it's because I'm hard on her. I don't know. Maybe um, there seems to be a theme. Yeah. So I got on the phone with her and she kind of f sounded a little distraught and I was like, "What's wrong?" 
I was like, did you clean your room before you went to your friend's house? She's like, no. I'm like, what's wrong with you? Are you okay? I'm fine. I was like, well, where are you at? She's like, I'm in the hospital. And I'm like, oh, no. I, yeah, that's how I found out. Oh, my God. So I'm so chewing her drops. out for not cleaning oh. her room. <laughs> and then she's being all like, I'll clean it when I get home. <laughs> <laughs> with, with her one good arm. <laughs> so... so <laughs> I was like, oh, no, I'll clean your room. You don't ever have to clean your room ever again. Uh, not really. I did not tell her that. But So I, I was just kind of heartbroken, you know. I was, like, helpless. I was like, I'm in this hotel room in Talladega. I can't do anything, yeah. you know. And then a lot of things start running through your mind a little bit. And I, I, I never thought about coming home. You know, I, I just I talked to Jess, and she said everything was fine then she started sending me pictures and it was pretty <laughs> pretty aggressive the break so you know I talked to Dale and I said hey you know my daughter broke her arm everything's fine and I let um, some of the guys at Hendrick Motorsports know and Dale's like well you know do you want to use my plane I'll, we'll fly you home you know and just the the scenario of uh, Talladega a little bit you know he's like you know if you need to just go don't feel bad don't you know I'll fly you home do this do that and I was like, you know, no, don't have to do that. But I actually called Peyton and was like, you know, what, well, you know, do you want me to come home? She's like, no. I was like, <laughs> what do you mean, no? She goes, well, I really feel feel bad because I feel I really feel bad if you had the opportunity to win the race tomorrow, and you you don't now because you're not there. And um, she just wanted me to be there to give the best opportunity to win the race. So. Um, in the end, I was like, are you sure? She's like, yep. She's like, I want you, you know, I don't want to hamper the race team from winning races. So I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> wow. you know, are you sure? She's like, I, I kept asking her and she's like, would you just stop asking me? You're making me mad, you know? And, <laughs> and in the end, yeah, I just ended up staying and, you know, we won the race and, you know, a lot of, you know, people said that I was kind of emotional and really I was, I wasn't really emotional, like crying like oh, oh i won a race you know i was like relieved i won the race you know for the chase right. factor i was relieved i won the race because i didn't want to get chewed out when i got home <laughs> for not winning the race yeah <laughs> um but it was just kind of like you could take a breath of yeah, a fresh air a little relief and be able to you know attack attack the year a little bit more aggressive and then also when i got home and you know, i didn't have a dis disappointed broken arm little lady <laughs> um you know chewing me out so I got home, sat on the couch. She kind of sat up, put her arm around me, gave me a kiss on the cheek, and said thank you. So she was like, Aww. "So I guess that made it all better, broken arm and all." So. Well, it I, sounds like you may have another racer coming along uh, if she keeps this up. Yeah, I, I hope. I hope she directs it into something. Something that she's probably going to be the boss. Yeah, she'll yeah. Be, she will be a boss somewhere, but. You know, I think her, her calling is probably in business somewhere. She's always trying to start a new business or um, sell <laughs> stuff awesome. or, or whatnot. So. You have three kids. Yes. So Peyton's the oldest. This is the eight-year-old that we were talking about um, who got hurt while you are in Talladega. But tell us about the other two. Um, I have Taylor. She is two. And uh, if Peyton's going to be the boss, I think this one's going to be the boss of the boss because <laughs> – she is very <laughs> as as straightforward as Peyton is. She's even more direct. She's more direct, probably with more of an attitude, though. Oh um, boy! <laughs> you know, like 
you know, Peyton will just tell you and let it go. Taylor will tell you, and if you don't do it, <laughs> then sh you'll hear about it then. And then uh, Parker, he is just turned one, uh, the 20th. You know, he's living around two older girls. <laughs> like I had good, to. Good luck to Yeah, him. <laughs> that I had to had to do. But, um, you know, it, it's just neat to, you know, like I said, we had eight-year-old, and then we, you know, kind of took a break from having kids just to, pursue careers and and uh the timing and all that stuff couldn't be better so right now you know uh, i enjoy getting home and enjoy you know going out in the yard going in the pool enjoying myself with them and sometimes at the racetrack if they come it can be a little bit hectic <laughs> with three kids running around but especially if you're in, in a motor home or or something like that but i enjoy it so plans for anymore i heard somebody ask jessica this earlier that's why you know i figured i'd go and bring that up knew, just in case yeah, i always knew <laughs> i was gonna have kids um so i always thought i was gonna have four okay we have three so you know who knows maybe <laughs> so we'll adopt potentially. i don't know <laughs> there you go I, like i said i grew up in a big family whatever it is you know whatever that calling or that need is um you know if, if we don't have one of our own we may you know maybe adopt or or do something like that but um, you know, there's always, always ways for us to give back or, or, or to do something different. So there's nothing out of the question. <laughs> so you're talking about your big family growing up. I think I remember 360 where you talked about, um, your sisters doing your hair when you were again yeah. and having to avoid some of that. So yeah. <laughs> do you think Parker may be in for a little bit of that? Yeah. Uh, poor kid. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I want to change anything about my life <laughs> in, in any situation. Um, but uh, I had a older, um, little older sister, a year and a half older than I, and you know, we we were always similar, always playing playing together. I mean, we lived two miles from the nearest neighbor, and and you didn't have TV, you didn't have Xbox or any of that stuff. So yeah, so they would kind of take turns on cutting my hair or <laughs> trying to braid it or permit or I, I, they did a lot of silly stuff to me that I didn't care to <laughs> care to really elaborate anymore yeah. on. That's okay. I tortured my brother too when we were younger and he actually told me a story about you. I guess you went home to Michigan for the off weekend and there was something about your truck in the airport parking lot when you came back and a maybe a saga of fixing it. Yeah. That's how I'll put it because heaven forbid we just call a mechanic and have it towed <laughs> oh, Lord. uh yeah so like i always like using my problem solving skills and, <laughs> and working on fixing stuff myself you know that's how i've always been whether it's construction i would i feel i'm a pretty handy guy so like <laughs> there's stuff around the house like you know building this or yeah adding it doesn't shake that. your head no <laughs> uh, so well, she's like do you think we should call somebody for that or should we send it to the shop and, uh, and i'm like what you don't think I can do it and I end up proving <laughs> her wrong and it's so nice that we've had some work done lately and she has been so disappointed with their work versus my work now oh, that's good so <laughs> so in the end it, it's proved me right but yeah so I got home from Michigan and I picked up my truck and I went to the first gate to get out of the airport and I smelled fuel and I was like ah it hasn't run in a while so just need to you know run a little bit more went to the next gate smelled some more fuel got out and my fuel tank and fuel line were leaking and i was like oh no that's just what i need <laughs> it was it was pretty bad it was like you could see the needle going down so i went and, 
into the gravel parking lot and kind of put positioned it in a way so that we could go a tow truck could come get it or pick it up so um you know i've done a lot of mechanic work in the past and done similar jobs myself um when i was younger so i just gathered up the parts and we went and fixed it um you know i lifted the tilted the box on the truck and uh i had a a friend helped me out, uh, Danny Emmerich, who's a big, st- uh, call him Steam. He was the engine tuner for the 48 for all those luxurious years. So um, he came and helped me out a little bit. It was f- funny. Um, he was kind of like my little helper, like, hey, do that, do that. But, yeah, so I got the, the bed all propped up and found where the issue was, took the fuel line off, went to a, a, a local Napa store, uh, <laughs> picked up a replacement kit, redid the line, put it back on, but, in the meantime, it decided to thunderstorm and rain so hard that I could not, like, it was, it was, it was like. And you're in a gravel parking lot. I'm in a gravel, time. gravel parking lot. So in the end, you know, it's, <laughs> it took me, it took us two hours, you know, which, you know, to, to get the fix done, but the stories are going to last forever. So. Well, as long as you had a good time, I mean, that's, that's all that matters, I guess. Well, it kind of, you know, in this in this day and age of you know all the all the pressure all the all, all the things to you know to perform and <laughs> at the level that we want you know, it's always good to kind of go back to a little bit of the grassroots just stuff remember, and you just can remember fix it yourself. yeah and you don't need a hundred people at the shop yeah so it, it it was always it's always fun to do that it's a little bit of stress relief you know because you're not thinking of you're not thinking of how to go fast you're not thinking of um what springs to put in the car you're just there I think we have very different ideas of what stress relief would be because mine would not include working (laughs) on my truck in the middle of a thunderstorm in in a parking lot, but (laughs) whatever, whatever it takes. Yeah. I, you know, I was telling Chad, Chad, the story yesterday and I showed him the pictures and I was like, man, it was quite a stress relief. And he kind of, he said the same thing, like that would not be a stress relief for me. And he kind of showed me a picture of him hiking Right. Um, and and stuff like that. It's like that's that's what I think of as stress relief and I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Yeah, to each his own. Well, Greg, thank you so much for coming in today. I really appreciate it and thanks for staying here a little over time to yeah, no talk to us. Um, but appreciate you both coming and Jessica too for sitting in and supervising us, keeping us online. <laughs> well, anytime. It's time now for our tip of the week, brought to you by Well Professionals. Wondering how to get rid of the frizz? Well, look no further. We've got an answer for you. This could be directed at me anytime the humidity is above zero. I don't know about you. (laughs) Well, it's summertime, so this is like the perfect tip to have, you know? Exactly. Here are a few tips to keep your mane tamed. Make sure to use a shampoo and conditioner that is designed to work with frizzy, hard-to-manage hair. This helps to ensure that you get the optimal results. Once your hair is washed, apply your product but be sure to choose products that are specially designed against frizz and to combat humidity. Be aware not to oversaturate your hair. More is not always better. Begin to section out hair and blow dry. Then once you finish blow drying, go back and flat iron from root to end to ensure that all your hair has been properly dried. Lastly, apply silicone-based product from mid-link to ends to add an extra layer of protection. Here are some product recommendations from our styling professionals at Wella. For prep, begin with Lux Oil Keratin Boost Leave-In Conditioning Spray. For wet styling, use Wella Professional Flowing Form Smoothing Balm. 
I've actually got this one from when I was a guest on Fastlane Family the first mom? time. Yep. Yeah. How's that working, by the way? It works it, really okay. well. I use it so before I blow dry or straighten my hair while it's still wet, or even if I'm going to be lazy and not dry my hair, it still kind of helps keep yeah. the frizz down as it air dries. Well, there you go. Testimonial. Yeah. <laughs> For uh, dry styling, finish with the Lux Oil Reconstructive Elixir. And you can purchase these Wella Professionals products at any of the 782 Ulta stores nationwide or purchase online at Ulta.com. Well, y'all, that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to Fastlane Family and a big thanks to Greg Ives for joining us today. Fastlane Family has been brought to you by Wella Professional Hair Care, multi-sensorial hair care products that you will see, touch, and sense the difference from your very first wash. Hair care needs from fine to normal to color to coarse, Wella's got you covered. Wella Professional Hair Care products are available at over 780 Ulta stores nationwide. Visit Ulta.com to find the store nearest you. Thanks for listening to Dirty Mo' Radio. 